And we're back on Money Talk. I'm Andrew Work, and uh, now we're going to say ohio to William Pesek, uh, Tokyo-based author and journalist. Uh, morning, William. Good morning, Andrew. Hey. Good morning. Uh, hey, it's been all eyes on Tokyo uh, over the weekend and a little bit beyond, and the fallout from that is still continuing. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people have been looking at kind of the, the international discussions that were going on there. But I think this uh, G7 summit has had some implications for domestic, the domestic situation, maybe politics in particular. Absolutely. It's uh, kind of exciting that uh, the world's uh, looking at Japan. It's kind of a bit of a rare thing um, these days. Yeah, I mean, certainly you had the G7 over the weekend, which um, I think many of us were expecting it to be the usual ho-hum event, uh, you know, communiques, photo ops, not a lot of um, important uh, news coming out of it. But then suddenly we see the headlines that, you know, basically President Zelensky from Ukraine was showing up, and it changed the dynamic completely. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Prime Minister Kishida here in Japan has never been more popular than back in March when he visited Ukraine. The Japanese were very excited about that, very proud of it. And here you have President Zelensky coming to the G7 to Hiroshima. And I think in many ways you already see that Prime Minister Kishida is getting a bit of a bump. There were a lot of concerns a few weeks ago that his premiership was uh, sort of over, given his approval numbers, and suddenly... Perhaps he has a second lease on life with Japanese voters, uh, thanks to President Zelensky's visit. And the question is, will this give him greater confidence, A, to stick around, and B, to shake up the economy a bit? It's it's an interesting moment. Hmm. So, I mean, I I hear what you're saying. I'm surprised to hear you say that you think eyes haven't been on Japan. I mean, everybody's been talking about Berkshire Hathaway, uh, Warren Buffett's, you know, big, big play into Japan, people keeping an eye on that. Um, so Kashida was the ringmaster for this, but I mean, the, the real show, you, you had Modi there, you had the head of Indonesia there, you had uh, uh, the, uh, the Lula from Brazil, you know, t- was there going to be a meeting between Zelensky and, and Lula or not? Turned out no, because he's still cozying up to the, the Chinese and the Russians. I mean, very dramatic. Uh, Trudeau versus Maloney on gay rights, all this kind of stuff was happening. But Kashida himself, I guess he was the ringmaster, but he didn't seem to be uh, mixing it up, so to speak. How, how is this helping him? Well, I think in many ways you see the world's attention on, on Japan because of the G7 and Zelensky visiting. But I think that anything at the moment that gives Prime Minister Kishida a chance to say, look, Japan is becoming more relevant in global affairs is a positive with his regard with, you know, from voters. Mm. And I think we are seeing that in recent days. And I think that, you know, basically Japan has felt a bit ignored in the world uh, over the last year or so as you know, the U.S. has gone toe-to-toe with China, um, Russia, Ukraine. And I think in many ways what you're seeing over the last 10 days is Japan returning to the global spotlight uh, in, in unexpected ways. And you mentioned, you know, you mentioned uh, Warren Buffett. You mentioned that the Nikkei. The Nikkei is now uh, basically hitting the highest level since the 1990s. Which sounds and there's a great. lot of attention on whether or not <laughs> which, there's a lot of attention on whether Japan's economy is back as well. And so we can debate that in a moment. But it is an interesting moment for Japan and Kishida and his ability to say to the Japanese people, "Look, I'm putting us on the world stage and making us relevant again." And I mean, I'll tell you who wasn't impressed, uh, China, of course, uh, they, they, called, they called up the Japanese ambassador. But I mean, d- does Japan have this similar relationship where there's, there's occasionally some, some uh, political brouhaha, but it doesn't really translate to an impact on trade? There is. I think, you know, but I think that China in many ways knew that it was going to be the focus of 
the G7 meeting. In fact, you can argue that because of Zelensky's visit, the, the tension shifted a bit more towards Russia than China. But mm. certainly China's not happy with the way that the communique was worded. When the G7 says we want to de-risk from China, what they hear is contain China. Mm. And so, you know, the kind of histrionics you're seeing since then with the, the Japanese uh, ambassador being called in for a talking to are to be expected. And I mean, de-risking was supposed to be the, the cuddlier, gentler term the Europeans were advancing as opposed to decoupling. Um, but I mean, that, that on that front, but let, let's come back to the stock market uh, because I'm really intrigued by this. Uh, you know, is Japan back? A stock market at an all-time high? Yeah, the last time it was at these heights was 1990. But of course, you know, anybody who pauses to think for a moment would be like, oh, and what happened then? Uh, it wasn't good. I mean, <laughs> at that time, Japan right. was insanely right. overheated. Where are we now? Well, I think what's happening is Japan, when you look at the world right now, Japan is, you know, if you think of the world economy as a beauty contest, Japan is by far the least ugly economy at the moment, right? I mean, it's stable. The politics, for better or worse, are quite stable. The currency is, you know, for the most part, um, you know, stable, um, you know, relative to where it's been in the last 10 years. The yen is falling at the moment, but it's within the range of where it's been in the last year. And I think that when people are looking for a place to ride Asia's boom at the moment, they're not looking at China, given that Xi Jinping is making the, the state sector great again. Uh, China is involved in this tit-for-tat with the U.S. And so Japan, for all of its uh, fleas, looks like a bit of a safe haven at the moment. It's quite fascinating. I mean, I mean, in terms of those fleas, some of them are very long-term. I mean, the Japanese automakers have missed the EV boat. Not that that boat is as big as people make yeah. it out to be, maybe. Uh, I mean, the demographics are still working against Japan. Those certainly haven't changed. I mean, everybody seems to have forgotten that for the moment. And in the first quarter of this year, we learned that uh, China became a bigger auto exporter than Japan for the first time ever. Yeah. So that, that had to hurt to some extent. Um, but, you know, I think in many ways, when you look at what's happening with the Nikkei, um, part of it also is that the BOJ's monetary policies are moving in the opposite direction of most major central banks, right? You have most monetary authorities in the world are either tapering or hiking rates to fight inflation. Japan is basically locked in place. In fact, uh, you know, hopes or expectations that the current BOJ governor, Governor Oeda, would be different and would put, you know, pull Japan in a different direction, tighten a bit. Those have been dashed very quickly, so the yen is falling because of that. And I think, you know, that is stock market positive, at least for the moment. But as you mentioned, you know, Japan, back in the 19, late 1980s, 19, early 1990s, there was a bit of a crash. And so the question is, are Japanese fundamentals, are the government's efforts to reform keeping pace with the optimism we're suddenly seeing in the Nikkei? And the answer to that is, well, no. Hmm. I mean, we've got, we've got one minute left. I mean, but is, is it making it complicated for investors who are saying, oh, you know, Japan's looking good right now if I can pick up X percent, but then the yen drops X plus, you know, plus another two points. Uh, you know, I, I end up worse on the back of the trade. I mean, but if the yen's dropping, maybe manufacturers will do better. I mean, it's, it's starting to look like a complex situation over there. Um, is it more, do you think people are more betting the Japanese market overall, just buying to a 225 ETF or... Is it really all about picking and choosing, as per Monsieur Buffett? Well, it's a bit of picking and choosing. It's a bit of picking the, the least worst market at the moment. But I think the other complicating factor we're not talking about here is inflation, right? I mean, mm. inflation in Japan, um, for better or worse, is near 40-year highs. And anything that reduces the yen's value will actually increase overheating risks because Japan's inflation is pretty much all imported inflation. You know, people say the BOJ ended deflation. Actually, it was Vladimir Putin 
uh, it was the you know Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the effect on global commodity and food prices that pushed Japan into inflation. And anything that weakens the yen, five ten percent, is going to exacerbate that problem and put the, the BOJ in an even bigger bind, if you will. And that, in many ways, might have investors who are rushing to the Nikkei right now, thinking twice in the in the months ahead if Japanese inflation heats up further. So, as you mentioned. It's complicated. Okay. Well, thanks, uh, Money Talk uh, listeners. Always well advised on what's happening in Japan by William Pesek, our Tokyo-based author, journalist, and Money Talk regular.